And this morning, I want to begin by briefly discussing the false religion that we call the prosperity gospel, or another term for it is the word of faith movement. And we could talk a lot about the prosperity gospel. We could talk a lot about what is wrong with it. There is much wrong with it. But I just simply want to summarize that the main ideas that they believe and the main ideas that they teach is that the fundamental purpose of your relationship with God, the fundamental reason why you should be a Christian, the purpose of your faith is so that you will receive wealth, success, health, and prosperity in every area of your life. And that we as Christians, we should do certain things. We should have enough faith. We should sow a seed. We should give a certain amount. And as a result of doing this, God is then obligated. He's required to bless us in the way that we want. And anything less than a prosperous life, anything less than being successful is because of your lack of faith or because you didn't give enough or you didn't give in the right way or you didn't give to the right ministry. That's the prosperity gospel. And this false religion, it's not something new. It seems like it's bigger than ever, but it's not something new. We're warned about it even in Scripture. In 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We also read in 2 Peter chapter 2, we're warned of false prophets that are teaching this gospel. It says in verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And listen to this. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. That's a good summary of the prosperity gospel and what they are doing. So this, this sin, this false religion, this sin of greed, this chasing after prosperity, it's nothing new. It goes all the way back to the fall, putting man above God. But the spread of it in recent decades seems to show that it's a disease that is plaguing the church probably now more than ever. You have ministers of this false religion like Joel Osteen. And his church before Corona was averaging 52,000 attendees every week. And his best-selling book called Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living your full potential is a New York Times bestseller and has sold over 8 million copies. A similar book along those same lines, this title is even more offensive. It's even more in your face by Creflo Dollar, 
His bestseller is titled, You're Supposed to Be Wealthy, How to Make Money, Live Comfortably, and Build an Inheritance for Future Generations. You have others like Joyce Meyer, who she has written over 70 self-help books and sold over 20 million copies. There's no doubt that people from every single nation, every single background, every single age group are being affected, are being deceived by this false teaching, by this false religion. And it is our duty as Christians to reject this. We do not agree with it. We do not support it. We do not condone it. We know that this is nothing but idolatry. This is nothing but greed. This is worship of man and it's worship of money. The prosperity gospel places the creation over the creator. And it demands that God give us what we want when we want it. This false teaching says that we should have nothing but success, prosperity, popularity, and we do need to respond to that. We should answer with the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, when he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And in Matthew, he says, Jesus says, you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. So when we encounter false teaching, when we encounter lies, that say our lives should be nothing but comfort and success and health and ease. We can also remember Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or 2 Corinthians 1, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. That's the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, not just a little bit, but in abundance. So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. There's no question that the Bible is clear on the truth, on the reality that the prosperity gospel is false, it's deceitful, it's lies, it's destructive. The Christian life will have trials. The Christian life will have sufferings. We will encounter persecution. But that's not what we are primarily talking about today. The reason I spent all that time to address the prosperity gospel, because I want to be crystal clear that what we're covering today is not that. Now, today I want us to look at what God's word does in fact say about blessing for the Christian life. And I think this is very important for us to consider because if you're like me, perhaps you've been tempted at some point as you're flooded with all this false teaching, we can perhaps overreact. We can perhaps say, I'm getting all worked up. I know how to dismantle this argument. I know how to tear down that false religion. 
And it kind of becomes our, our favorite thing to do, to tear down something like the prosperity gospel. And then as we encounter verses in God's word, as we come across promises, as we come across blessing that even these false teachers will use, that they'll twist, they'll manipulate, they'll pervert. When we come across them, you might find yourself believing just a little bit less in that blessing. You might find yourself saying, I'm not sure how to think about that. I just know I don't want to be like them over there. And so we might even avoid it. We might even kind of hesitate as we approach what God's word says about blessing, about rewards, about the Christian life and how there are benefits to living as a Christian for this life. So that's why we're covering that, covering this text this morning. And we obviously believe and we know that our greatest blessing, our greatest gifts, our greatest rewards are coming in eternity. Nothing we get now compares with what we will get in the future. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have something for the Christian life now that is a blessing, that is a help to us, that should encourage us. So, to better understand God's blessing, to think of it in a biblical way, we are going to be turning to the book of wisdom this morning, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book filled with wisdom. Some of the wisdom is negative. It's telling us to keep from something. It's saying, don't do this. Keep from that. But much of it is positive. And you'll find, if you haven't read Proverbs that much, many times there is a result of, of receiving and doing the instruction that is given to you there. There, were, there is a result there is something we could even say it's a reward. There is a blessing. There is a promise. And so instead of just always overreacting and hesitating and saying, I don't know if we can even talk about that or think about that. Instead, we say, I want to stand firmly on what God's word says. And so let's learn what God does teach us about blessing and reward for this life. Now, this is not simply a a process where, where you do this, you get this. No, it's a guidebook on how we live our life to honor the Lord. And, and God may choose to bless us. God may choose to give us gifts as we do that. So this morning, we're only looking at six verses. <clears throat> we're only looking at six verses, and there are many, many, many rewards and blessings for the believer in Proverbs. We're only going to be looking at six verses, and in those six verses, we're going to see three instructions for Christians. We're going to see three instructions that we should be doing as believers, and in and as a result of that, we're going to see that there's a reward or a blessing from God. So let's look at the text. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. 
Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. In these six verses, we see three instructions. And right after each one of those instructions, we see a benefit, a blessing, a reward. Let's start in verse one. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching. This is God's instruction to us. Do not forget my teaching. Forget here is not the idea that you forget your phone at home or you forget your anniversary date. It's not the inability to remember. Forget is to turn away from. It's willful rejection of God. It's willful forgetfulness. This is ceasing to care. This is rejecting God. It's summed up like, the psalmist says in Psalm 10:4, this is the attitude. The wicked and the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And God warns the Israelites in Deuter- Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. It's exactly like the instruction we have here. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. So again, this is not an accident. This is not, oops, I forgot something today. This is saying I turn away from the Lord, and it's really the idea if you have a rebellious teenager or rebellious anyone, doesn't have to be a teenager, and and they, they look at their authority and they say, forget you. That's the idea. They didn't actually forget, they're rejecting. And what is it we're not to forget? We're not to forget God's teaching. This is God's law. This is instruction. We're to not forget God's instruction. But in contrast to this, instead of forgetting God's teaching, we're to let your heart keep my commandments. And heart here, to help us better understand, and Michael's taught on this many times, heart is not like the Uh, idea of, you know, oh, my heart, and it's so romantic, and that idea. The heart in the Bible here is really talking about your will, your conscience, your inner man, your soul. It's everything that you have. And you you do not let your heart, I'm sorry, you, you let your heart keep my commandments. And keep here also, this is also not casual. This is not like you just keep something around or or keep it in your pocket. No, keep here means to guard. It means to watch over. It means to observe with fidelity. It really means obedience. And so we're called to not forget God's teaching, but instead, in contrast, with our heart, we keep his commandments. We must be serious about our commitment to God's word. And we know that this must be done out of love, In John chapter 14, Christ tells us, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And although we do this out of a right motivation, although we do it out of love for God and love for Christ, 
we actually learn that there is, in fact, a benefit. This is, this is not like, um, I don't know if any of the parents in here have ever responded to their child in this way. I know I have where they're questioning why they need to do something. And they say, well, why do I have to do that? And your response is, because I said so. And that's an okay answer sometimes. But that's not really what God tells us here. We don't say, God, why do we obey? And he says, because I said so. He says there's actually reasons and there's actually benefit. There's actually reward. He motivates us. In Psalm 19, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, the psalmist is writing one of the most beautiful poems about God's Word. He goes on and on talking about all that it does for the Christian, all that it means to us. And in verse 11, kind of summarizing his poem there, he says, they, meaning the commandments and teaching of the Lord, he says, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And now listen to this. He says, in keeping them there is great reward. There is great reward. And God tells us that so that we can know as we keep his word, as we don't forget it, as we obey him, as we do it out of a love for Christ, we can expect, we should hope, we should desire God's blessing in our life. Yes, in the future. Yes, we know that. We know in eternity he's going to bless us, but it's okay to hope that he blesses us in this life now too. What is that blessing? Verse 2. Four, length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Length of days, years of life and peace they will add to you. Let's look at this first thing here, this idea of length of days and years of life. This is actually talking about a longer life. This is actually talking about God and his sovereignty controlling the time of your life. And we know that God is sovereign over all things, especially the timing of our death. We know that he can lengthen our life. We know that he can shorten our life. So this shouldn't be difficult for, to, for us to understand that God could bless us with a long life if he desires. And this idea of God lengthening our life is not uh, something that's uncommon in Scripture. We see it, we see it in many places. Proverbs 4.10 Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Proverbs 9.11 For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. Proverbs 10.27 The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. To help us understand this even better, we could look at it in the opposite sense, every time we take the Lord's Supper together once a month, we turn to 2 Corinthians 11, and actually just last week when we took it, I read the passage that says, it's a warning to us, that if you take the Lord's Supper without examining yourself, if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, it says this is the reason why many among you are sick, and asleep. 
disobedience is the reason why God has shortened some of their lives. Another example is in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit. God and his sovereignty ends their life. So we know that God is sovereign over the length of our life. And he's saying that he can give us a long life. And now I'm not that old yet, but I'm getting up there and I'm starting to get more aches and pains. And as I talk to friends and family who are older as well, the reality is sometimes it's not that great to think of a long life. And that's true. And we do look forward to when God makes our bodies perfect, when we have no more aches and pains. But this long life that God gives us is not a long and miserable life. This is not where we're struggling and suffering. No, because right after he says, and peace, they will add to you. So this is a peaceful life. This is as God lengthens our life, as he blesses us with long life, he also blesses us with peace to enjoy this life. Peace here is the idea of soundness, of contentment, of even welfare. We should think of the New Testament passage, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, one of the best passages talking about prayer and talking about peace. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. <clears throat> and listen here, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So right here, from Philippians and from Proverbs, we know that the key to God's peace is knowing and obeying his word as well as prayer. And God says that he may give us a long life and he may bless us with peace. To illustrate this further, I want us to look at two passages of scripture to, to better understand the connection of obedience of knowing and obeying God's word to life and peace. So let's turn to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30. We're going to read several of these verses here, but I think it's important for us to understand this. God is promising something very similar to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. 30 verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing in the Jordan to enter and possess it. I will call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
to give them. God sets before his people a promise of life and prosperity. But he requires obedience. In the New Testament, not that long ago, we heard about the message in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So that you may live long on the earth. So the first instruction for us this morning is that we must know and obey God's word. And the blessing, the result, the benefit to us is life and peace. How should we apply this, this first lesson? Well, first we should commit ourselves to knowing and obeying God's word. As we grow in our understanding of this instruction, it should motivate us to study, to understand, to believe, and to obey God's word even more. We know that we have much to gain in eternity. Let's also say, let's also believe God's word when it says, you have much to gain in this life. Let that motivate us. Another application is, if you feel like you're already receiving this blessing, if you're already receiving the benefits of knowing and obeying God's word, don't think to yourself that that's just because you're a nice guy, because you're doing okay. No, the only way you have life and peace is because God is blessing you with it. So be thankful. Last application here is that we should pursue this. We should pursue a life of peace. There's nothing honorable about thinking of your life and saying it's just filled with anxiety and worry. And that's just, that's just the life of a Christian. It's just so hard because of all my trials and my struggles and my persecutions. So that's just the way life is. No, we should pursue peace. God offers us a life of peace. Now we will go through trials and struggles and persecutions. But the way that we endure that is by God granting us peace. So don't neglect the pursuit of God's peace through knowing and obeying his word. Let's look at the next point. Verses 3 and 4, we see the same pattern. There's an instruction, and then the result of that is a benefit, a blessing, a reward. And the second point that we're looking at to summarize this, the idea that we should consider is that we must consistently behave as a Christian. Consistently behave as a Christian. And the blessing to result is favor with God and man. Verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Kindness and truth. Now let's look at kindness first. Some translations, they say this is better understood as mercy or love or even goodness. The, the most helpful thing that I came across that helped me understand what this was more was the word loving kindness. The word loving kindness, it's the same word 
here in Proverbs 3 that we see 127 times in Psalms. Y'all probably hear me, heard me a lot of times when I do the call to worship as the service begins, we come across some of these Psalms over and over again. They're repeating because of your loving kindness. Over and over we see that the word loving kindness is describing God and it's describing how he is to us. Loving kindness. That helped me understand this the best. And I want to read to you some of the verses where we see loving kindness. And we don't just see loving kindness. We also see the phrase with it, truth. Loving kindness and truth. That's the second characteristic here. In truth here, it can be spoken truth. It can be faithfulness. It can be reliability. <clears throat> and I think it's really important that these two words go together. To, to help us understand, you can think of a person who maybe they're just really, really strong in their kindness, in their loving kindness. And if they're really, really weak in their truth, maybe they're such a nice guy and they treat you right all the time, but they don't have what it takes to tell you what you need to hear. Or on the flip side of that, you have someone who's really, really strong in truth, but they're lacking in their loving kindness. And they're going to tell you what you need to hear, but they do it in such a way, it's so rigid, it's so firm, that it drives you away. So these characteristics go together very well, and we need to be displaying them. We need to have them in our heart, as we're about to see. But to help us better understand this, the, the, the best way that I could think of this is that this is, this is us reflecting God's character. This is us reflecting God's character. Let me read to you several of these psalms here where loving kindness and truth are connected. They go together. They don't separate them. They're right here together. And they're all about the Lord. Psalm 25.10, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. 26.3, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Psalm 40.10, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness, of your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness in your truth from the great congregation. And then verse 11, 40.11, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. There's several more. We see the connection of loving kindness and truth, and we see that it is describing God's character. It's describing the way that he is to us. He is loving kindness, and he is truth, and that is what we are called to display as Christians. We are called to behave as a Christian, and it's not just occasionally. No, it says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. They're to be with us always. To elaborate on that, the author says that we are to bind them around our neck. This is external. This is something that is always on us. And then internally, we're, we're to write them on the tablet of our heart. Do not let kindness and truth leave you ever. Wear them. Put them inside of you. This should remind us of when God called his people to treat his commandments in a similar way. We should always have them in our heart internally and always be mindful and aware of them externally. He does this in Deuteronomy 11. 
You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, never leaving you, always on you, always something that you know and that others know. We also see in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, this is the idea of writing on our hearts. It says, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So kindness and truth should never leave us. We must consistently behave as a Christian. We must be reflecting God's character. We are made in God's image, and we should reflect that. A New Testament passage to help us understand how we do this, because I, I agree this sounds difficult, but how we do it, again, I'm gonna, I must have learned a lot in Ephesians lately, because I'm going back there again. In Ephesians chapter 4, Starting in verse 22, <clears throat> it says, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And, listen to this, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. If God has saved you, you can consistently display his image, display his character, behave as a Christian should, and that's summed up in kindness and truth. So what is the result of this? Verse 4 tells us, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. There's a blessing for acting like a Christian. There's a reward. Favor here is the idea of acceptance, of thinking well of. The, the idea of charm and grace is connected to this. We see that Jesus increased in favor, Luke 2.52, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Similarly, the boy Samuel in 1 Samuel 2. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor with both the Lord and with men. And another helpful way to think of this, a good summary in Proverbs 8, 8.35. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So what does it really look like for a Christian to find favor. And let me, before I go into these illustrations, let me also talk about good repute. This is a good reputation. This is a good name. Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver or gold. <clears throat> so what are some illustrations to help us think of this? One helpful one is back in Genesis chapter 39. We see Joseph. I'll just read the text to you, but there's a lot to this story. But Joseph is 
consistently and continually honoring the Lord with his life. And it brings about favor and good reputation so much so that he becomes the second in command over all of Egypt. It says the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand, so Joseph found favor in his sight. And a New Testament example for us. Turn to Acts chapter 2. I'll admit I didn't catch this very much when I've studied this passage, but Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 44, this is talking about early Christians. This is the early church. Sometimes we think of them as receiving nothing but persecution, and that's true. They received much persecution. But starting in verse 44, it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They're behaving as a Christian. And in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. God granted them favor with all the people as they lived out the Christian life. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Another helpful verse, Proverbs 16, 7. This connection of favor with God, and he can grant favor with men. It says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When our ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. God can make enemies at peace. God can grant us favor. God can give us favor with himself and with others. Another helpful way to think of this, I considered in 1 Timothy 3, one of the qualifications of an elder is that he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. And elders should be, they should be Christians that are living a life that's worthy of following, that's worthy of modeling. Not perfectly, but they should be a model. And if we believe elders would be mature Christians, and one of the requirements is that they be, is that they have a good reputation with those outside the church, that should be something we pursue. That should be something that we desire. We should ask, we should want, we should hope that God give us favor with himself and with others. I think sometimes we don't act like this. Sometimes we think, well, if, if I'm following the Lord and I've got a few friends at church, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. And that's not necessarily the most God-honoring biblical mindset. We should pray that God would give us favor with all. Knowing that we won't, knowing that there will be some who hate us because we're following Christ. That doesn't mean we don't pursue peace and favor with men, and especially with God. A helpful New Testament passage, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. This is really a command for us as we think of encountering those outside the church. It says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, 
so that you will know how you should respond to each person. We don't not care about what the world thinks about us. No, we, we carefully, carefully speak to them in a way that honors the Lord. Our speech would be seasoned with salt. So we are made to reflect God's image. We are made to live as a Christian. We need to do this. We need to trust in God's help and his grace that we can reflect his loving kindness and truth and hope that he would give us favor with God and man. Point number three, our third instruction and our third blessing, our third reward, our third result of obedience to this instruction. In verses five, in verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust here is to have full confidence in. It's to be secure in. This is how we approach the Lord, with full confidence, with full assurance that he will take care of us. And this is not just halfway. This is not just part of the way. No, we're to trust in the Lord with all your heart. I really think all might be the key, the key word of this verse. We see it two different times. And what we need to understand from it is that all means in whole, in totality, everything, fully. And it even means exclusively. We only trust in the Lord. You can say, God, I really do trust you. I trust you with all my heart, but I'm also trying this other thing to see how that works for me. We exclusively trust in the Lord. There's no trust left to ourself. That's what the next line means. Do not lean on your own understanding. Lean means to trust in, to support yourself. And understanding here is actually, it's a good thing. It, it means like discernment. And we think of discernment as, oh, well, we should have discernment. And, and we should, it's true. But we should only trust in our own understanding. We should only trust in our own discernment so far as it lines up exactly with what God's word says and means for our life in his word. We do not trust in ourselves. We trust only in the Lord and we trust exclusively in the Lord. Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul tells us that we put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in ourselves. We have some warnings here that if we do lean on our own understanding, there's judgment. Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. And in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 7, 23 and 24, but this is what I commanded them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and you will walk in all the way which I have commanded you that it may be well with you. Yet, they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their heart and went backward and not forward. That's the picture of a life 
of trusting in yourself instead of God. You're going backwards. Instead of straight paths, you have nothing but crooked paths. And I want to address one other thing in this verse. It's such a popular verse that there's many misunderstandings about it. I want to just mention that this idea of trusting in the Lord and and not leaning on your own understanding is not some sort of completely passive idea about this. This is not you just sit back and say, well, I can't know anything, I can't do anything, I'm just giving everything to God and I'm just letting Him just kind of do everything for me. No, that's not what this means. This, this trust is an active pursuit of God and His Word. The not leaning on yourself doesn't mean you just lay down. It means you do away with your own sin, you do away with your own wisdom, and you only follow what God's Word says, fully, exclusively, and completely. So this is not a passive command where a lot of people like to use it as they're going through something. They just kind of say, I've just sort of given up. I'm just, I'm just not leaning on my own understanding anymore, and God's going to take care of all that. No, we follow God. We pursue God in his wisdom. As we trust in him, we're seeking him. What is the result of this? What is the blessing it's make your paths straight. And actually, before I go into that, I skipped one line here. In all your ways. This is a continuation of the instruction. This is more instruction for us. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I mentioned earlier that all is a really important word for this verse. All. It means everything. It means total. It means whole. In every single Way, we acknowledge God. And way is your course of life, your manner of life, your habit, and even the word journey helps us understand way. In every single path, in every single way, in every single thing, we acknowledge God. And again, just to help us understand this idea of acknowledge, in our language, we can use acknowledge as something that's pretty small. We can just say, yeah, I acknowledge the person in the room. I just kind of acknowledge that this thing exists. That's not the idea here. This is not just mental assent to God and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with God. I know he exists. I don't have any problems with him. And so I'm acknowledging him in my ways. No, acknowledge here is that you know and that you make known and that you confess and you consider Again, very active, very sincere. We should acknowledge God in all our ways. We should desire to honor him with every decision. We should consider what his word teaches us for every circumstance. We should make him known in every opportunity. I love what the English pastor and theologian Charles Bridges wrote about this idea of acknowledging God in all our ways. Listen as I read this kind of long quote here. Charles Bridges says, It is nothing less than self-idolatry to conceive that we can carry on even the ordinary matters of the day without his counsel. He loves to be consulted. Therefore, take all thy difficulties to be resolved by him. Be in the habit of going to him in the first place, before self-will, self-wisdom, before human friends, before any of those have been consulted, 
Go to God at once. Consider no circumstance too clear to need his direction. In all thy ways, small as well as great, in all thy concerns, personal or relative, temporal or eternal, let him be supreme. We are to acknowledge God in all of our ways. What are just some of the ways that we should acknowledge God? In our marriage relationships, in the parent-child relationships, as we interact with our neighbors, as we interact with unbelievers, as we consider relationships with friends, the relationship of employees or employers, as citizens under government authority, in our business and how we treat people, in our finances as we give and save and spend, God's word instructs us in every single one of those ways and many, many more. There's literally no area of life where we do not acknowledge God as we live out our life. We submit to him in every way. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us, granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. There is no subject, no topic, nothing that does not require our acknowledgement to God as we live the Christian life. And what is the result of this? God will make our paths straight. This literally means to, to make them smooth and to make them right. And there's two senses here. There's a literal sense That as we go about our life, he straightens our circumstances. But there's also, and even more importantly, a moral and spiritual sense where God is shaping our godly character. He is straightening our paths as we go about living the Christian life. So there is benefit to following God, to acknowledging him in all of our ways, to trusting trusting in him, and not leaning on our own understanding. I am compelled to say this morning that if you're here and you're not a Christian, these blessings are not for you. If you feel like you have some of these in your life, if you say, well, there's, there's times where I feel like I have favor with other people, there's times I feel like I have a measure of peace, there's times I feel like I'm going down a straight path, Know that that's God's common grace to you. But it does not mean that you're saved just because you experience some of God's blessing in your life. No, God's word is clear that for the unbeliever, there's judgment. The man who trusts in himself instead of God will be cursed. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And in Romans 8, verse 28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. That is the result of, for an unbeliever. It's not blessing. It's not reward. It's judgment. So what should you do if you feel like that's you this morning? 
You should trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let me just read this passage kind of in reverse for the unbeliever, this one through six. If you do not obey God's word, then life and peace is not added to you. You can expect a life of worry and anxiety. If you do not live like a Christian and reflect God's character, you will not receive God's favor and have a good reputation. If you do not trust fully and exclusively in God, you will not have your paths straightened by God. Your life will be nothing but crooked paths and sin. So the response this morning, although this passage in 5 and 6 is primarily for believers who are living the Christian life, it's a good summary of what we should do if we know that we're not with the Lord, if we know that we don't have a relationship with Him, we should trust in the Lord with all our heart. And when it says to not lean on your own understanding, I want you to understand that if you're not a Christian, it doesn't just say that, well, I'm going I'm to lean on God more. No, you must repent of your sin. You must turn away from your sin, from your self-righteousness, and you must turn to God. That's what it means to not lean on our own understanding as we go to God in salvation. We must acknowledge him in all our ways. And the benefit is not just that he will make your paths straight in this life, but he offers eternal life, which is needed much more than straight paths in this life. So turn to the Lord if you feel like this is not describing you. Well, our application for this passage, I have a few points of application. The first thing that we should do as we consider what God's word says in Proverbs 3, 1 through 6, is we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged. We know when we believe, and I think that our church does really well at knowing that God offers us immeasurable riches in eternity. But we should also know, we should also believe, we should also trust that God has much blessing for us in this life. And that should encourage us. Christians should be the most happy, joyful people in the world. Not just in eternity, but also now, today. Next, we should be thankful. I mentioned this earlier, but if you observe these rewards, if you, reserve, if you observe these results of obedience and you see God has done that for me, do not make the mistake that that's just kind of the way things are going for you. Do not just think, that's your lot in life. It just happens that people like me because I'm a nice guy. It just happens that I have favor because I know how to be nice to people. No, understand and be thankful that God has blessed you with those things. Any good gift comes from God, and he deserves our thanksgiving as we realize that any goodness that we have in this life comes from him. Another point of application, kind of on the flip side, if you feel like you're not experiencing these blessings, if you feel like you're not receiving this reward from God, but you have confidence that you're in the Lord, it's okay to ask yourself why and say, am I 
doing these instructions here? Am I knowing and obeying the word? Am I consistently behaving as a Christian? Am I trusting fully and exclusively in God? Or am I really just kind of going neutral through the Christian life? And is that why I'm not experiencing the blessings that are clear in this passage? The last point here, it's really not application as much as it is observation, but it's really important that we observe this in this text and then apply it. But the observation here is that all of this is centered on the Lord. The object of our instruction is God. What we're not to forget is His teaching and His commandments. And what we're to put on us is His character. And what we're to trust in is Him Himself. God is the object of this. And who's the one that gives us these blessings? Who's the one that rewards us? It's God. And this is really where the fundamental issue is with the prosperity gospel. They would approach a passage like this. And the key of all of this is the reward. The key of all of this is the benefit and the blessing. And we reject that and we say God is the center. God is the purpose. It's him who gives it and it's him that we follow. So observe that in the text and practice that. Don't follow after a reward. Don't follow after a benefit. Follow after God and then give thanks if he chooses to bless you in this life. So in conclusion, we need to make sure that we always consider the whole counsel of God. Let his wisdom shape and direct our lives. Let's not be too overreacting to false teaching to where we lessen our belief in God's blessings and promises. God has much to offer us in eternity, and he also has much to offer us in this life. We should pursue him. We should trust in him. We should pray that if it's his will, that he will bless us. Let's close in prayer. God, I do pray for that this morning. I pray that if there's any sinful desire, as we see what blessings you offer here, if we desire these rewards above you, Lord, would you convict us of this sin and would you bring about repentance? But Lord, would you cause us to think rightly and biblically about the truth of your word? And would we pursue you and all that you have to offer us in the Christian life? Lord, I pray that we would mature. I pray that we would grow. And I pray that we would be a picture of a Christian who is doing these things and is experiencing blessing from God. Not living a life free of trial and suffering. Lord, we know that's happening. We know that many times that's how you bring about these opportunities to obey is through trials. So Lord, I ask that you grow us, grow this church. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.